I uh, feel like uh, all of us right now needed that moment of silence and uh, a little bit of prayer. Um, Tandazo by Zim Ngawan. What a beautiful um, put together instrumental. And uh, thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, uh, we're having a conversation about what life is like in prison, what it really is like for women who are in prison. And uh, Rupa. Hopkins is joining us as an investigative journalist uh, for uh, Vets Justice Project and uh, they investigating human rights, abuses and miscarriages of uh, just, uh, justice uh, related to the criminal justice system and uh, she's uh, joining us on the line uh, right now and uh, just a, a bit of uh, background um, that uh, we're making reference to a study that was conducted 2012-2013 uh, when the Department of Correctional Services um, included in their report that uh, there are 242 correctional centers that accommodate 150,608 inmates and out of that only 3,380 uh, are females and you ask yourself um, what sort of challenges do they face uh, and, and should we even care what they go through uh, do remember that uh, uh, some women are in prison because of uh, passions of crime um, and, and some women are in the uh, out of uh, self-defense as we know that uh, gender-based violence is, is so rife in our community uh, but equally uh, we're not taking away the fact that there are women who are justified to being in prison because they simply just broke the law and Ruth Hopkins is joining us on the line right now. Good afternoon Ruth and uh, thank you so much for taking our call. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon. Now, let, let's uh, get straight to it and just uh, look at some of the challenges that you have identified as, as an organization um, that uh, women in prison in South Africa still face to date. Um, well, the, there are several. Um, first of all, the, the women prison population is, is very small. So it's just around 3% of uh, the entire prison population, mm. which stands at roughly 160,000 at the moment. And there are roughly three to 4,000 uh, women uh, incarcerated. And because it's such a small um, population, that often overlooked. Mm. Um, and also in terms of their specific kind of female needs, so, for example, you know, the most obvious one is the availability of sanitary pads and tampons mm. and so on. And, and you, one, one question that I've always asked myself is, mm-hmm. uh, does the, um, should we call it the uniform um, that prisoners wear, uh, does it cater for women's needs? Um, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that, the, the uniform. As in the clothing that they wear, the prison clothing. Well, <clears throat> what I saw when I was in um, Johannesburg uh, Correctional Center, the, the, the female um, section of it, is that um, the women are allowed to kind of adapt the prison uniforms to their, their taste. So it was actually quite interesting to see because some of them uh, made their prison uniforms into skirts, others um, sewed, um, you know, interesting looking uh, shirts and so on. So, um, but again, and that's not just uh, in relation to women, but these uniforms are often not available mm. or they're extremely worn down, etc. 
You you mentioned um, that you know oftentimes uh, certain healthcare related issues like uh, sanitary wear they would not uh, have uh, have exposure to. Mm. Um, but what are some uh, what about some of the preventative uh, measures uh, such as screening for for pap smears and and breast cancer? Uh, is is there access to that? No, that's well. I mean, this is again. It's based on <clears throat> on the the interviews that I held with uh, women prisoners in Polsmore and Johannesburg Correctional Centre. Um, and I think in total, I probably interviewed between eight and ten uh, women, and they did tell me that um, it was not available. These these very specific kind of female um, needs, and also um, I spoke to another woman who this was a while ago. The policy might have changed, but who uh, I actually spoke to two women who gave birth while they were in prison, mm. and both of them um, were brought to an external hospital where they were shackled to the bed. So their their legs were um, attached with uh, uh, not handcuffs, but obviously leg cuffs, um, which I, I think is a very degrading uh, practice, and which was also quite traumatizing to them because they were just they were on a regular maternity ward, and mm. uh, you know they were shackled to their beds, and were, and also weren't allowed any any visitors. And and what are some of the stories that, uh, as you were collating um, uh, this uh, data, uh, you felt this is gross uh, violation of human rights? And that that particular instance of giving birth uh, in shackles, yes, I would say mm. yes. But I think if you, you've also got to see it in its context. I mean, the women are incarcerated in the South African prison system, which is extremely flawed. You know, um, prison units are very overcrowded. There's very scarce access to doctors. Uh, so women also complain about not getting their medication. Um, there's 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 not a lot of um, response to when they kind of try and indicate that you know they have a medical issue, uh, so so they, they also just they, I mean I think the entire South African prison system is a bit of a, a human rights violation because it's just it's not up to scratch you know mm. it's not it's not a, a humane um, prison system. And and I mean from some of the um, research or information that has been shared, um, is that there's not even a proper diagnosis to specific conditions and and providing a specific uh, treatment. I mean, one of the women talks about a, a person that had chest pains and was just given a panado. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's sadly germane to South African prison life. So, so uh, access to doctors is often very, very hard to uh, to negotiate, and that that also uh, applies to to female prisoners. One of the women that I interviewed uh, had a, a, a mental health uh, disorder. She was bipolar mm. and really struggled to to get her medication on time and enough and the right dosage, etc. And and what are some of the um, perhaps challenges that have gotten them in prison? Because um, I need us to zoom into that because some of them would be passions of crime where one is, is acting on self-defense. Uh, yeah. Does that re- necessarily make you a hardcore criminal when yeah, you return? Yeah, it's interesting that Let's park that, Ruth. Let's talk about it uh, straight after this break. Here, there. And everywhere. SAFM 104.9 FM in Port Shepston. 
All right, let's take your calls right now, talking about what life is like for women in, in prison and um, looking at what life is really like uh, for women in prison in South Africa. And joining me is uh, Ruth Hopkins, uh, who works as an investigative journalist at, uh, for the VES uh, Justice Project. Now, just before we took an ad break, um, you, you were about to respond, Ruth? Yes. Um, I was about to respond to uh, women who end up in prison for killing their um, abusive partners in self-defense. You mentioned that, and that is actually, that's really caught our um, attention here at the Mm -hmm. Vitz Justice Project, um, because we feel that if women really killed in self-defense, they shouldn't actually be in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I've spoken to several women who are in prison for for this very reason and who either their lawyers either either didn't raise uh, self-defense before the judge or the judge just simply like ignored it or um, just didn't pay any attention to 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 that defense Um, and it's a reflection it's actually the flip side of femicide Mm. you know a lot of uh, as your listeners probably know you know a lot of women uh, are killed by their abusive partners I mean it's three women a day and the women who don't get killed uh, often end up killing their partner you Mm. know it's either a him or me kind of situation you know Um, and we feel it's 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 really an injustice to uh, to put these women who've often gone through years and years and years of harrowing violence and abuse to then um, put them in in years, uh, extra years and years in in prison, which is an additional traumatic experience. Sure. Let's take calls uh, right now. Number to dial is zero eight nine one one zero four two zero seven, and we also welcome your WhatsApp voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. We're both on Twitter and Facebook at SAFM Radio and hashtag SAFM Lifetime Live. Also welcoming your SMSs at four zero nine three eight charged at one hundred fifty per. SMS. Uh, Sbongile is joining us uh, from Soweto. She was an inmate. Good afternoon and welcome, Sbongile. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome. Okay, thanks, ma'am. My name is Sbongile from Soweto. Okay. My next call. Uh-huh. Yes, I was serving 35 years. 35 years. For, yes, for residential robbery. Housebreaking, under since I am. Okay. In Katep. Yes. In order to be in prison, as a woman, it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy, it's difficult for us. They, especially if you don't get visit, it's mm. hard for you. Leave your children outside, you know, there's stress, treasure, everything is dead. It's against the regime. Inside the prison. It's, so this, this yeah, story on lockdown is not a myth, it's what happens inside. Lockdown thread. Sure. But no, some of them they are eating, they don't know prison. But oh. prison is hard, difficult for women. I was there, mm. I know everything. When I got sentenced, I was 25 years. Uh, that was 1999. Then I came back 2012. Yeah, 2012. I, was still young. Mm. I didn't know anything about prison. Mm. You know, sometimes our boyfriends, people that were dating, mm. They give us threats, uh, no pay treasure outside. We want to fit in. So, and my boyfriend was abusive, very abusive. He was a gangster. Mm. So I ended up joining those things. Oh, so you guns. joined, you joined um, gangsterism uh, to, to join your boyfriend? 
Yes, to train my boyfriend. Are you? Are you? Uh, I mean, looking back, Smongile, uh, you're no longer an inmate now. Um, but yes. were you in any way? Do you feel like you were corrected? And I'm glad that you use language like uh, sometimes you follow pre- peer pressure. It's not things that you wanted to be. Mm. Any lessons mm. that you have learned in hindsight? When outside? Yes, when you or, look or back. Especially. Yeah. When I look back, uh, I learned a lesson that I mustn't rush things. I must mm. be the captain of my own ship. I mustn't join gangsterism, especially with frenzy. I must be on my own. Whatever I want to do, I must take time believing God. That God is there. And for me, I would say, I thank God to be there. Because maybe by now, my vision should me. Yeah. But in lifestyle, I was living. No, for me, I just it. And now you're sounding so motivational. Maybe there's a career for Smongile. After all, you can be a motivational speaker as well. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Smongile. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. You. Yeah, we're reflecting uh, about life in prison for women, what it's really like. And we continue that conversation straight after this uh, news break. Uh, news uh, headlines with Chantal Thompson. Call Griselda now, 0891-104-207. We're having a conversation about challenges um, that uh, women um, face in South African prison, though they make a small percentage of uh, uh, prisoners and uh, uh, the system doesn't cater for their either its health needs, uh, social needs, and the list goes on and on. And joining us on the line is uh, Ruth Hopkins, who works as an uh, investigative journalist uh, for the Vesta uh, uh, Justice Project. Now, let, let's talk about uh, what happens when a woman uh, is arrested whilst pregnant. Um, well, that really depends um, on the prison. Um, um, in Polesmore, for example, they have a, a mother and baby home, mm. so women are allowed to—they're allowed to give birth in in prison, and they're allowed to keep their child with them for two years. So, if if they're incarcerated in in, in Polesmore, there's a mother and baby home, and which is kind of like a house. Uh, which is open and it's very child-friendly and, and, and the women actually reported quite positive experiences from there. However, in, in Johannesburg prison, the other prison that I've, I've, I've investigated in terms of, of uh, female prisoners, there is no mother and baby um, home and they're just kind of um, accommodated in a cell, in a communal cell, um, mm. which is just not as nice and not as child-friendly really as uh, the mother and baby home. Are there any opportunities for one to um, perhaps uh, choose a field to study um, and and, and maybe improve their skills that upon release at least they can contribute um, positively to uh, as a member of society? Well, that again is 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 an issue that's important for the entire prison uh, prison population, mm. um, and I think that could also do with a bit more improvement. But in in principle, uh, um, inmates are allowed to study. Um, and uh, they often do this through UNISA, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we get reports a lot of the time that um, it's, it's incredibly difficult for them to pursue their studies, either for financial reasons or because the prison won't allow them internet access, which you need to complete um, a degree. But you do see that a lot of uh, incarcerated people will, um, you know, d- do some form of education or training while they're in prison. 
All right, uh, we're getting some very interesting questions um, that are asked uh, on our uh, SMS line. And uh, one of the questions being, are we suggesting that uh, women who kill should not go to jail and invoke self-defense as an excuse? How pathetic can we get? And that's from Sam in Boxbeck. Your response, Ruth? Well, what does Sam then suggest that women should do when a man comes at them with the intention to kill? Is, is he saying that these women should then be killed? Mm. I mean, self-defense is, is subjected to quite a stringent legal assessment. You, do, you can't just raise it, you know. Um, and if, if I look at the, um, <clears throat> the women that I've interviewed who were in this situation, I mean, they literally had a knife at their throat or they were literally being strangled mm. um, and then grabbed a knife and um, stabbed uh, the man and then often called the police. They were, they, were the, they were the people who then called the police, called the ambulance, you know, but they were in a situation of life and death. And so it's a bit of a simplistic uh, response to say, oh, then all women who kill shouldn't go to prison. That's mm. not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that violence against women in this country is sky high. And, the, and the, if, if someone comes at you to kill you, um, you are legally allowed to defend yourself. And if you look at the case law in this field, you'll see that there's kind of a gendered interpretation of self-defense. Because the standard is, what would a reasonable man do mm. in a situation like that? And it's somehow that doesn't translate to women. It's so interesting that uh, we've talked about uh, various issues that women are subjected to and uh, one of them being uh, shackled uh, to a bed whilst uh, giving birth. Yeah. And, and the only thing, every message, every SMS um, and, and every tweet is only focusing on passion crimes and saying, are we saying that people shouldn't pay for the crimes that they committed? Um, and I'm wondering that uh, how, when did we communicate that? All right, let's take Caesar Mazibugo in Soweto, uh, who is a medical doctor, and uh, to shed some light. Good afternoon and welcome, Caesar. Good morning, Priscilla, to your listeners. Um, I'm driving and it's been a very interesting conversation. Um, I started work in 2000 and I worked in Subukeng and there was a big prisoner population that had come to the hospital, I, both prison in Sasselberg and Serenake. Some of the highlights that uh, some of the stuff that Ruth is actually raising, I've got two things to contribute to. Mm. The issue of them not being sent through to the hospital, that's always a problem, but what you need to realize, it's not only the female prisoners or the male prisoners, it's actually a South African problem where we get hardened nurses. And, you know, uh, the last hospital I worked at, you spent time writing to the nurses in the hospital section to give medication or to send them on time or to put them on the correct side of the prison. But it's just a hardened system, and you get that even in the open population where you can write back to the nurses. So I think it's a, it's a countrywide problem. Okay. When they go back, people don't get patients seriously. Patients with really life-threatening conditions, you'll find that by the time they come to our tertiary centers, they've been going to clinics. Some of them have been to six clinics, and nurses just keep giving them paracetamol. Mm. And there's no recourse to actually disciplining those people. So if the, the current problems in the country is that you can spend your time reporting that to the individual and nothing happens. Sure. And, and I guess this is why uh, we're having this conversation. And um, there's also another message. It's, it's uh, crimes of passion with a lot of exclamation marks suggesting that, um, you know, you, you disapprove. And another one saying some women are in, uh, in the slammer of fraud and theft. 
and uh, and jol <laughs> jol each other uh, when they are in prison uh, she's an ex-con um, this person who's sending this message okay um, but I guess the conversation that we're focusing on is um, a gross violation of human rights uh, within the prisons. Uh, another uh, SMS, I really think women in prison need special care, um, but we shouldn't single out crimes of passion and treat uh, this matter with uh, child's clubs. And I guess that's uh, kids' clubs. Um, even those who are there um, because, uh, okay, someone decided to just click a button uh, while some reading, all right. I apologize for that. Um, I'm not saying that it's okay for men to abuse women, but once uh, a sentence is passed um, by the judge, one can either appeal or otherwise serve it. At the end uh, of the day, uh, we have our choices of walking out of abusive relationships as if it's that easy. Sorry, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a gross misunderstanding. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, we continue having these conversations, Ruth. Um, uh, we have a couple of uh, WhatsApp messages that uh, we're going to try and, and get to, and, and then we conclude this conversation. Um, let, let's hear what you had to say. Hi, this is Chriselda. Um, there's a reason why it's actually called prison. We cannot make prisons comfortable because then we all would then do something just to end up in the prison just because it's so comfortable. It has to be brutal. It, it has to be correctional. It cannot be comfortable so, so, so that no one wishes to be there. Ruth, what then worries me is, I mean, when you've noticed that a large percentage of uh, some of these crimes are from self-defense and some are petty, uh, when, once upon release, is they environment friendly to receive people who have been rehabilitated? When we talk like this, when there's gross violation of human rights with the constitution of the country um, that forces us to uphold uh, uh, human rights. No, not at all. I think, and that again is is general, is to all people who've been incarcerated. It's it's in many ways uh, a sentence for life, because when mm. people come out, you know, they they struggle with a criminal record, they won't get employment, their communities look at them as if they're a criminal. You know, they they don't look at them as if they're rehabilitated. But I just also wanted to respond to one of the callers who was saying prison can't be too comfortable. Mm. It has to be brutal. It has to be correctional. Brutal and correctional uh, are two on. on on two sides of the spectrum. If you want a prison to be properly correctional, then you need to treat people, incarcerated people, like humans. If you don't, if you treat people like animals, they'll come out and act like animals. Mm. And what you see around the world is that the, the countries with the sort of most humane uh, detention uh, systems have the lowest crime rates and have the lowest incarceration rates. So it pays off you don't have to treat uh, prisoners like royalty or anything, or VIPs. Mm. You have to treat them as humans. And they have their human rights. And Especially if you when you're going to add... And you torture them and beat them up and deny their rights, mm. they'll come out angry looking for revenge. And so in the end, it doesn't serve anyone to be brutal to prisoners while they're in prison. Especially when you call, when you call it the correctional service. Exactly. Ruth, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. I guess the conversation continues. And so. um, we <laughs> need to just re reflect and introspect. Uh, Ruth Hopkins, who, uh, who works as an investigative journalist uh, for the Vest uh, Justice Project.